morning, everybody. Good morning. It's good to see you all here this morning, and it's good to be back. Last week, uh, and the family and I were in Apex, uh, got an opportunity to preach at a D-Now uh, at Salem Baptist Church, and God was very kind. Uh, we got to see uh, some of the teens that are there at the church and got to interact with them a bit and uh, got to see what God is doing there in the Apex area. How many of y'all are from that area? How many of y'all are from uh, the Apex area? All right, I see, see some of the hands there. I know there's some that, that are uh, uh, living in that area that aren't here this morning as well. Uh, it's just really cool. I, I, I haven't been out there that much. Uh, and um, obviously being out in the Youngsville area, uh, which is where we live, uh, it, it, would, it would have to take an act of God for us to get all the way over to Apex. Uh, and so we went over there and um, uh, it was just really cool to see how God is moving uh, in that particular uh, uh, part of the triangle. And so I'm really, really grateful uh, for those of y'all who are here and I'm grateful to see what God is doing and making disciples in uh, your neck of the woods as well. Uh, but we're back, and, or at least I'm back, Annie and the kids are actually in Pennsylvania right now. Uh, one of her mentors, um, back when she was in high school, uh, he, uh, she went to a public school, and, and even though her town, her hometown, is a very religious uh, area, uh, they, they definitely have churches all over the place and so on, uh, they aren't really that Christian, <laughs> as much as they would say so. It's more of like a civic religion type of thing than, than really a, a faithful walking uh, with the Lord and so on. And you can definitely see that in the high school where she grew up. Uh, there weren't a lot of folks that were uh, outspoken for their faith. There weren't a lot of folks that were, uh, that were sharing the gospel and, and encouraging each other in the gospel. And so in a lot of ways, Annie felt like she was kind of one of the odd ones out uh, there in her, in her school. Some of y'all may know a little bit about that uh, in your own experience. But she had a math teacher named Mr. Lovabaugh. Uh, who was a faithful follower of Christ. And he was one of the ones back when she was a teenager who encouraged her uh, to, uh, to be not just a believer in name only, if you will, uh, but to be a believer all the way. And was basically encouraging her that if you're going to follow Christ, follow him all the way. Uh, and he was one of the ones that kind of encouraged her uh, to, uh, to go and, and be vocal about her faith and to share her faith and, and to help uh, lead other people to Jesus and, and, and so on. And yeah, well, anyways, uh, he went home to be with the Lord just a few weeks ago. And uh, one of the great honors of her life was uh, his wife, uh, Miss Susan, uh, asked her to uh, sing for his funeral. And so Annie and the kids are up in Pennsylvania. I'm hoping that they get home this evening, uh, but they got three to five inches of snow yesterday. Uh, and so we're hoping that the SUV will be able to make it through all of that uh, snow and so on and get here uh, because I'm, I'm missing my bride and I'm missing my kids. Uh, but yeah, uh, I'm so grateful for the influence of uh, Mr. Lokabaugh and for many of you guys, you don't know the kind of impact that you have in other people's lives and other people's faith as well. Uh, you don't know uh, what God is going to do in you. 
as you are faithfully living for him, you're faithfully serving him, you may have the opportunity to share the faith uh, with someone. You may have the opportunity to encourage someone who is already a believer uh, to go further in their walk with Christ. And who knows, maybe you may find yourself, uh, when your uh, journey is done, when your walk uh, here on, on uh, this earth is, is over, uh, how many will rise and say, I praise God for that person. They said this, and you will never, you'll never remember, but they will never forget, right? And uh, we, we just uh, keep praying that God will give us those opportunities where we can encourage others in the faith, where we can encourage others to press on, and so on. Uh, with all of that said, uh, let's turn in our Bibles to Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. And when you're there, say, I'm there. All right, that's good. It doesn't sound like most of y'all are there. So, all right, Romans 9, beginning verse 1. I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. And I'll read the first part of verse 6. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. Let's pray that God will give us insight and understanding into his word. Father, we need your help. I would assume that for most of us that are here, we look at a text like this and and we don't totally feel what Paul is feeling here. We don't totally get what he's trying to say. And, and Lord, that exposes our hearts. And so I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would cultivate in us um, the same uh, uh, concern and the same heart and even, Lord, the same grief uh, that Paul would feel for his people. Lord, this is a, a difficult section of Scripture, one of the most difficult sections of Scripture. These three chapters are tough sledding. But Lord, I ask that your Spirit would help us, guide us through these next few chapters, that we would end up where Paul ended up. He would say in chapter 11, oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and 
unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become his counselor? Who has given to the Lord that it might be repaid him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Lord, I pray that we would follow his train of thought. And that we would see what you are doing in all of history. And we would see how your purpose to redeem for yourself a people from every tribe and tongue and nation. Lord, that, that this is the most spectacular plan and most spectacular mission in all of history and in all of the world. And Lord, I pray that we would leave marveling that you are accomplishing exactly what you set out to accomplish. Father, I ask that you would move us from the, from the sorrow of, of seeing so many in unbelief, that we would move to the rejoicing of knowing that you will indeed gather for yourself a people. We thank you. Lord, there may be some even here this morning that don't trust in Jesus. Lord, I pray that through the preaching of your word and the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would make it so clear that Jesus is who he says that he is. That they would turn from their sin and turn in trust wholeheartedly in Jesus, and that they may be saved. And we ask these things, Lord, because we know that you are able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think. Magnify your name. Exalt your Son among us. And we give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Somebody told me that the, 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 the nature of mountains and mountaintop experiences is that there's always a valley before it and there's always a valley after it or else it wouldn't be a mountain, right? In order for there to be a mountain, there's got to be a low point that you ascend to the peak of the mountain. And of course, in order for this mountain to be a mountain, there's got to be a descend after the peak. Uh, and back into another valley. Well, uh, this may seem for some of you like we are uh, on, the on the descent, right? We're, we're on our way down from the peak. The peak being Romans 8. So we read Romans 8, we meditated on this together over several months, and, and, and we just marveled at, at the promise after promise after promise that we have here in this beautiful chapter in Paul's letter to the Romans. He starts off by saying, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And if you already know, well, this is going to be good, isn't it? Right? We're, we're, this is going to be good. There's no condemnation. So, so we could sing like, like Charles Wesley could sing in the old hymn, no condemnation now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. And we could, we could just celebrate. Yes, when I stand before the Lord with all of my sin, all my past, all my present, all my struggles and my failings, God will look at me and because of the finished work of Christ, God will say, not condemned. Oh, and that's where we began, and we walked our way through. We meditated on the ministry of the Holy Spirit and overcoming our flesh. We recognize that only those who walk by the Spirit have life, and only those who walk by the Spirit have a, a victory over sin, and only those who walk by the Spirit can ultimately please God. In other words, if you are going to do anything of any 
value uh, and the pleasing of our Lord. It's because of what the Holy Spirit is doing within you. You aren't doing that by your own willpower. You aren't doing that by your own strength. You're not doing that because you're some cool and good kind of person. No, it's the Holy Spirit working in you to produce things that run counter to your flesh. He's recreating you from the inside out. So not only do you have the status of righteousness in that the, whole, uh, the Lord Jesus has clothed you with his righteousness, but now the Holy Spirit is at work in you producing righteousness within so that you, your life matches your status, if you will. And the hope that we have is at, at the end, we will be glorified, namely, the life that we live will finally and ultimately match the status that we already have in Christ. We will be righteous because not only because we have his righteous status on us, but because we actually will be righteous in the sense that all sin will be removed. The curse will be done. We finally and fully will be exactly what we were created to be. Amen. That's good news. That's good news. And, it, and Paul shows in Romans 8 that that takes us through the road of suffering. Because the road to glory is full of potholes. <laughs> and the road to glory looks much like 440. I should know because I just drove to Apex you know, the last couple of weeks. And as I was driving, I'm going, exactly how much do we pay in taxes again? Because these roads are hideous. And, and that's what the road to glory looks like. It's full of potholes. It's it's messy. It's 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 it's, it's a struggle, right? We we hurt and and we we uh, have victory over sin, but then we fall right back into it and back and forth and back and forth. We're persecuted because of our faith. We people ridicule us and and people blackball us and corner us and and and, and uh, uh, alienate us and so on. Some of you have experienced that in your families. Some of you have experienced that in your marriage. Some of you have experienced that on the job. Some of you have experienced that uh, just in social gatherings and so on. It's not a cool thing to be a Christian. You don't gain any cool points for that. And, and so we live this life of struggle and suffering and hurt and all of these different things. And as we go through all of that, the Holy Spirit confirms in us that we are indeed children of God. The Holy Spirit doesn't leave us. The Holy Spirit does not uh, uh, abandon us. But in fact, he assures us all along the way, you are on the right track. You're on the right path. This is the road to glory. We join with Christ in his sufferings. And we have the hope that just as God raised Jesus from the dead, he will also raise us from the dead. And just as God has exalted Jesus, there is coming a day where he will exalt us. We are heirs of the promise in Christ Jesus. We are heirs of the inheritance in Christ Jesus. We will reign with him in the last day. All of this is good news, such that Paul could say, God works all things together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. This isn't a new thing. In fact, God had foreknown you uh, and he had predestined that you would be conformed to the image of his son. And those who be predestined, he also called. And those who be called, he also justified. And those who be justified, he also glorified. And by this point, Paul is just losing it. By the way, that's one of the things I love about Romans. 
is that Paul will go deep, deep, deep into the, the weeds and so on of theology. And then every once in a while, Paul's just got to step back and go, y'all, I need a break. Just give me, give me a second. Yeah, that's what Paul does. You know, he just he just has a moment where he's like, oh, hold on, I just need I just need a minute. You know, he just starts praise breaking, you know, and so on. You see this here in chapter eight. After saying all these things about the about uh, our, our salvation, he then says, what can we say about these things? In other words, he's like, I, I'm, I'm speechless. I don't even know what to say. Which is funny because then he goes on with eight more chapters. But but he says, he says, what can we say to these things? If God is for us. Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? He says, who can bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who can condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who always makes intercession for us. And then he says, who can separate us from the love of Christ? And we heard that last week. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Again, the, the, the list there, he says in verse 38 and 39, I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is the absolute peak of the mountain, isn't it? And we just live there. We go, yes, that's amazing. We are halfway done with Romans. And you just expect that Paul will be like, the end, done. Woo, let's go. Let's storm the castle, right? No, he doesn't. In fact, right after Romans 8 is quite possibly the most difficult section of the entire Bible. Romans 9, 10, and 11. I teach over at Southeastern Seminary. Many of you all know that. And I know that there are seminary students that come in salivating. They're just ready. I'll ask a, I'll ask a question every once in a while. Just, we'll just have a little Q&A. And I'll say, hey, you know, y'all have any questions? You know, anything that y'all are, uh, you know, are interested in and all of that? And especially if I'm dealing with a New Testament class or, or a Bible interpretation class. And I'm just sitting there going, I already know what you're going to ask me. <laughs> I already know what you're going to ask me. And they're going to say, uh... What's your view on Romans 9, 7, 11? Because <laughs> they think that there was a new question. I, I've been doing this for years. Every time I do this, somebody asks a question about Romans 9, 10, 11. Why? Because it's a difficult section. Uh, we've got you know, the, the, the calvinist Arminian debate. You know, God's sovereignty against God's free will. By the way, it's not against. Um, I, I don't know where we got that idea, but for centuries we've been saying, is, it, is God sovereign or, you know, uh, do we make decisions, you know, in our lives and so on? That, that, it's not an either or. Uh, God is sovereign and you must make a decision. Uh, it, it's, not, it's not in conflict with each other. Uh, I think Spurgeon, when they asked him about God's sovereignty and free will, Spurgeon was the one that answered, I don't have to reconcile friends. <laughs> as Spurgeon would only do. Uh, and, and, but, that's a, but that's what we see uh, in there. This is a difficult passage. Uh, what do we do with Israel? What do we do with, with God's plan for, for Israel? You know, what, what's going on here? And so even some with uh, what we call eschatology, you know, uh, how the end times are going to, to, to map out. You know, are we premillennial or 
are we amillennial? Or, or, or as I've heard some people say, are we panmillennial? We believe everything's going to pan out in the end. Uh, whatever it is, you know, uh, what, you know, Romans 9, 10, and 11 is a very important section uh, in fleshing that out and thinking your way through God's plan for the peoples and for the nations. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that's going on in here. But may I encourage you to set the theological debates aside for just a moment. Because Paul does not begin this section with debate. Nor is that the reason that Paul is bringing this section up. He is not trying to resolve any of our tensions with God's sovereignty. He's not trying to resolve uh, anything. He's not trying to chart out any uh, uh, maps for us for, for the end times. That's not what he's doing here. <coughs> Excuse me. That's not what he's doing here. Rather, there are some real concerns that Paul knows have come up by this time in the letter to the Romans. And Paul has to resolve this because the very gospel that we celebrated in this letter is at stake with the problem that he, that he senses here in these three chapters. In other words, Romans 9, 10, and 11 are not parenthetical to Paul's argument in Romans. They're actually right at the very heart of his argument. Because if the problems that he senses in these chapters aren't resolved, then there's no reason that we should have any confidence in the gospel. You say, whoa, that's a big claim. It is a big claim. And Paul knows it. And so Paul's going to address this here. Now, why, why does this matter for us? Why does this matter for us? Well, it matters for us for a couple of things, okay? And let, me, let, me, let me bring up the problem so that you see why it matters. This problem I call the Jewish problem. There's a Jewish problem, at least it seems like there is, in Paul's argument here. Two aspects to this problem. One aspect is that if this gospel is true, then it seems like Paul has just said that all of his people, his ethnic people, are now under the just wrath of God. And there are some that would say, Paul's only saying this so that he can get in with the Gentiles. He's, he's, he's dropping the standards, lowering the standards for the Gentiles so that he can be really cool among the Gentiles and so on. But in reality, what he's saying here is anti-Semitic. What he's saying here is, is anti-Jew. Anti-Jewish. It's, it's, it, he's, he's, he's throwing his people under the bus so that he can win some points among the Gentiles. That's what some people said. Now you say, where, where do you get that? Well, you hear this throughout Paul's letters, but you would especially see it in the book of Acts. Let, let's do this real quick. Hold your place here in Romans 9, and I want you to turn to Acts 21. The book of Acts, uh, chapter 21. Beginning at verse 17, Acts 21, beginning at verse 17. Read what, what goes on here. When we had come to Jerusalem, we being Paul and the one who's writing here, Luke, 
and, and this missionary team. When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present, the Jerusalem uh, elders, the elders of the Jerusalem church. And after greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. This is amazing. So he's given his missionary report here. In, in verse 20, it says, when they heard it, they glorified God. And they said to him, you see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. In other words, there are a great number of believing Jews, Christian Jews. Okay? He says they are zeal they're all zealous for the law. And they have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses. Telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. You see what's going on here? By Paul saying, you are justified, as he says in Romans, you are justified not by works of the law, but by faith in the Lord Jesus. By saying, you are not uh, 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 grafted into the family of God by way of circumcision, but by way of trusting in the finished work of the person of Jesus Christ, there were people that were hearing that and saying, Paul's anti-Jewish. He's telling people to forsake Moses. He's telling people to forsake our customs. He's telling people to forsake our culture, to forsake all of this. He's preaching an anti-Jewish gospel. And I think that that's what's going on here in Romans as well. Now, Paul, now uh, James and the folks there in Jerusalem, they told Paul in Acts 21 what he needed to do. They said, hey, there's some guys that are going to the temple, and uh, they've shaved their heads and so on, and they're going to be performing a vow, probably the Nazarite vow that we hear about in the book of Numbers. And he says, if you do that, that will at least buy some time where people say, you're anti-Jewish. And you say, I'm anti-Jewish. I perform the Nazarite vow, which is like the most Jewish of vows. Okay, and so you do that in order to show that you're not anti-Jewish at all. You're actually, uh, uh, you are Jewish for one thing, and, and you love the Jewish people, and you love your Jewish traditions and things like that. All you're saying is that that is not necessary for salvation, but rather it's trusting in Jesus that, makes, uh, that gives us salvation, and only by trusting in Jesus. So, so maybe there's some folks that are going, Paul is anti-Jewish with this gospel. Go back to Romans 9. The other thing that I think that they're recognizing here in Romans, uh, which is why he's writing this in Romans 9 and 10 and 11, is that they recognize that if this gospel then condemns his very, his very people, his Israelite, his Jewish people, what does that mean about God's promises? In Romans 8, he said, nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. But yet there's a whole people group who have received all of God's promises that you are saying are not saved. So has God not kept those promises? Are they separated from the love of God in Christ Jesus? Because you just said nothing can separate us. 
If nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, then what's up with Israel? Who, by and large, are outside of the faith. Now you start to recognize this is a big deal, isn't it? This is a huge deal. Paul has been leading up to this this entire time. Okay, He's been leading up to this this entire time. We just probably haven't been listening to this. So, for instance, in chapter 1, verse 16, when he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone, to, everyone who believes. And then he says, for the Jew first and also the Greek. And so he, he's already been highlighting, this is for both Jew and Gentile. And then he said in chapter 3, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. He says, although the law and the prophets attest to it, and he says, the righteousness of God that comes through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ uh, for all who believe. He says, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so he's there, even there, highlighting that Jew and Gentile, all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And But the righteousness of God is revealed for all of us who believe, for Jew and Gentile. His example of what it means to be justified by faith in chapter 4 is the Jewish patriarch Abraham. And saying Abraham was, uh, was justified before he was circumcised. Genesis 15, where he was justified, comes before Genesis 17, when he was circumcised. And he was justified before he had an opportunity to obey the law because the law doesn't come until Exodus 19 and Exodus 20, 400 plus years after Abraham was alive. So he was justified before he was circumcised. He was justified before the law so that we would know that both Jew, those who are children of Abraham, and Gentile, those who are neither, just, uh, neither circumcised nor under the law, we all are justified the same way that Abraham was justified, which is by faith in the, in the promise of God and not by our works and not by the works of the law. He's been, he's been highlighting this over and over and over again through his letter. And now he's going to answer the question, what's up with Israel? Is God's promise reliable? And if it is, what do we do with this people that are, according to this gospel, outside of the faith? Well, the first thing that we need to do, and I think that this is what Paul is getting at here in the first six verses, is we need to weep. We need to weep. I know it's interesting, because that's not usually where we begin. We begin trying to rationalize, right? We begin trying to think. We begin trying to try to craft arguments and so on. And that's not where Paul begins. Paul begins with tears. Some of y'all may have a different perception of Paul than what we see in the scriptures. Um, you may think of Paul as this cerebral, you know, he's, he's, he's like a cerebral assassin. Right. I mean, this guy is just trained to think, and, and that's what he does best, is he just thinks and, and, and all of that. He doesn't feel anything, but that's not what we see here. Look what he says in verse 1. I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. 
Notice he could have just said, I have sorrow. But he doesn't just say that. He says, I have sorrow and anguish. And notice he doesn't just say, I have sorrow and anguish. He says, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. You, you, you want to say that Paul is anti-Semitic? You want to say that Paul is anti-Jewish? Paul is over here with, with tears stains on the parchment as he's writing. And he's saying, y'all don't understand how much my heart breaks. Why is your heart breaking? He says in verse 3, For I wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. He says, I wish that, that I could bear the curse that they themselves are currently bearing. And I wish that I could be cut off so that they could be brought in. I wish that I could take their place. Of course, I can't take their place. There's only one who can take their place, and that is the Lord Jesus. But because they've rejected him, he says, I wish that I could, I could, if I could just do something where I could go to hell so that they could go to heaven, I would do it in a minute because that's how much I love my people. My question for you is, do you weep like that? Paul says and teaches here that we are to weep for real. We're to weep for real for those who, who are separated from Christ. This is not a theological argument for Paul. This is not some type of abstract thing where Paul is just working with ideas and just throwing them around and putting them in this nice, neatly packed argument and so on. Paul has faces in mind. Paul has people in mind. The people he grew up with. The people that he walked and talked with, the people that he, that he learned with, the people that he went to synagogue with, and so on. He says, my heart breaks because when I say these things, I know that that means that right now, you know, uh, 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 grandma over there who used to make us those lovely meals and so on, and, and, and my best friends that we used to hang with, and all these, I realize that right now that puts all of them outside of Christ and therefore outside of heaven. Question, is this how you weep? Who are the faces that you think of? Who are the folks that you grew up with? Notice he says that there. He calls them my brothers. He calls them my kinsmen according to the flesh. My kinsmen according to the flesh. These are... If we were to say it these days, we would say, this is my crew. These are my people. Is it right for, for me, for instance, to weep over my African-American brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters according to the flesh, when I, when I, when I recognize how many don't know Jesus, when I recognize how much the, uh, the need for the gospel, uh, how much the need of the gospel there is in, in black communities and so on. I'm grateful for the witness of Christ that is there, but I've got faces of people that, that need Jesus, and I weep over that. Do you have people 
that you weep over, your family that you weep over, your friends that you weep over. We used to hang together. We used to roll together. We went through high school together. We, we, we got married around the same time and so on. But we're walking with Christ and they're not. And I have unceasing anguish over that. Do you weep over America? I know, I know. We keep, we keep lying to ourselves and saying, we're a Christian nation. Christian? Where? Where is Christianity, the, the testimony and the witness of our nation? I just saw a, a, a trailer for, um, uh, I'll, I'll name it. it, was Magic Johnson. It was a trailer for him, and there's some documentary that's coming out about him and everything. And, 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 and here he is, you know, he's talking about his life and his upbringing and, and, and all. He's playing, you know, they show his years with the Lakers and, and, and everything. And then they talk about the stuff that he's done since uh, uh, his days there with the Lakers, with the Magic Theaters and so on, the movie theaters and everything. But then they start talking about his family, and I didn't know this, but he has a son uh, who apparently is very much involved in the LGBTQ community and, and so on. I didn't know that, but I knew instantly, as soon as they included him into the trailer, I knew that this wasn't just about Magic Johnson, but this was also about furthering an agenda. This was about furthering a worldview that says, hey, this is perfectly fine, this is perfectly okay, and if you're wrong about that, uh, the, or if you think that that's wrong, then the person that's actually wrong is not that person. The person that's wrong is you, and you need to change. And I know that because he said that in the trailer. He said, I realized that you know what, what needed to change was not him. I realized that what needed to change was me. And this is, you know, what is just a microcosm, what we see in our world, in our culture, all over the place. This is the world we live in. This is the air that we breathe. This is not Christian. You try going out and sharing the gospel. I know there's some of you that are like, I'm really apprehensive about sharing the gospel. Why? Because everybody's a believer? No, because you know that if you go sharing the gospel, you're going to get some type of pushback from our Christian nation. No, <laughs> this is our world. This is our culture. There's animosity. There's tension. There are people who push against the gospel. There are people who want nothing to do with Jesus and so on. And it goes into not only the, our, our neighborhoods and so on, but it goes all the way up into the halls of our courts. It goes all the way into our legislature and so on. We are not a Christian nation. Question, when was the last time you wept over that? You said, God, why? Why are, are my people, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, why do they reject you? All begins with weeping. And so should we weep over those who are separated from Christ. Not only that, but he says, our teachers, that we should weep for, for real. By the way, side note, why do I say weep for real? Because he says in verse 1, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. He says, I am not lying, 
my conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. And so for those who are, who are questioning whether he cares or not, he's, he's doubling down and saying, if you think that I'm lying here, you can go to the Son of God, you can go to the Spirit of God, and they will vouch for me and say that all of these tears are real, genuine tears. When was the last time you wept for real for this? He says also, weep for real for weep for real for the separation of the reached. And a lot of times our mission, uh, we talk missions and so on, we talk about getting the gospel to places where Christ has yet to be named. And Paul talks that way in chapter 15. But here he's weeping over the reach. Israel is not an unreached people group. <laughs> Israel is the most reached people group. Okay? Uh, there is not a, a person in Israel that can say, we had no opportunity. There's no way you can say that. You've had every opportunity. All right? Notice what he says in verse 4. He says, they are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption. When Moses went into Egypt uh, to tell Pharaoh, let my people go, and so on, he referred to Israel with the word of God. God referred to Israel as my son, Israel. Bring my son over here to me, and so on. So to them belong the adoption. To them belong the glory. When the tabernacle was completed, and centuries later, when the temple was completed, the Bible talks about the glory of God, the kavod, the, the heavy, weighty, thick smoke of God filled the tabernacle, and then later on filled the temple. And it was amazing when he filled the temple, they actually had to evacuate the temple. The priests and so on had to leave the temple because the, the, the glory of God was so thick in the place that they couldn't even be in there without without getting smoke inhalation or something like that. Which, by the way, when you think about it, it's like, but wouldn't that be like glory inhalation? But, but anyways, they, 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 were, they, were, they had to leave and say, I can't be in here because the glory of God is so thick in this place. They receive the glory, the covenants. You can talk about the Abrahamic covenant, all the way back to Genesis 12 and 15 and following. You can talk about the Mosaic covenant, starting in Exodus 19 and, and, and going all the way through the book of Exodus and the book of Leviticus and the book of Numbers and then reiterated in Deuteronomy. You can talk about the Davidic covenant in 2 Samuel 7 where God promises uh, to David that he would have a descendant who would sit on his throne and his kingdom would be forever. You can talk about the new covenant in Jeremiah 31 and Exodus, uh, I'm sorry, Ezekiel 36 where, where God promised in Jeremiah 31 that I will write my law on your hearts. And in Ezekiel 36, he says, I will put my spirit within you and I will take out your heart of stone and, and put in you a heart of flesh, one that is softened to my will and to my word and to my glory and so on. All of these covenants were given to Israel. They're given to the Israelite people. They're given to the Jewish people. These are their covenants. And Paul is, is looking at this. Not only that, the giving of the law, which we already mentioned there. He says, they received Torah. God gave it to them on Mount Sinai. The worship. You can think about the Passover. You can think about the, 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 the Feast of Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of, of Tabernacles, and so on. Uh, you can think of all of these festivals that they have celebrating the redemptive acts of God in history. No, the redemptive acts of God for them in history. And notice it says, and from, uh, I'm sorry, I, I missed the promises there. They receive all of these promises, all the promises. 
promises that we have in the Old Testament, God gave to them first. And then he says in verse 5, to them belong the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Those are their fathers, like literally their fathers. Like they can trace their family tree all the way back to Abraham, his son Isaac, and his son Jacob. And topping it all off, he says, from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. This Messiah was their Messiah first. He's the son of David. He's the one who comes to claim the throne. He's the one who is called to sit on the throne in Jerusalem and rule over all of the nations. He is their Messiah first. And the fact of the matter is, even with all that they have received in verses 4 and 5, they are not saved. If this is how it is for them, What if we say this about our people? Our kinsmen according to the flesh? Walk your way through America and you can see church after church after church after church. How many churches are in Raleigh for crying out loud? The problem is not that the gospel hasn't gone forth. We are not an unreached people group. And yet with the witness of Christ going forth in our land and with so many opportunities to believe, by and large, we live in a people that has rejected Christ. We have more missionaries coming out of America than any other country in the world. And it's been that way for quite a while. And yet this country needs the gospel and needs the gospel desperately. I remember when I was pastoring in Baltimore, I had a, a friend of mine, his name was Matthew, Pastor Matthew. I heard about him. Uh, he wanted to uh, to do some work in the in the area in our little neighborhood in Baltimore, and so I was like, "Yeah, come on over. We have a parsonage. He was looking for a place to stay. We said we have a parsonage. You can go ahead and stay in the parsonage." And so I got to meet him, and I was like, "So tell me about yourself. What, what, you know, who are you?" He's like, "Well, my name is Matthew, and I'm from Kenya." And I said, "Wow, what brings you here?" He said, "I believe that God's called me to be a missionary to America." So here I am on Sunday, and I'm introducing. Pastor Matthew to our congregation because, you know, I uh, was uh, seeking um, our, our church's assistance to help him and to, uh, and so on as he wanted to start a church. And I introduced him the way he introduced himself to me. I said, this is Pastor Matthew. He is a missionary to America. And if you had seen the faces, <laughs> folks going, missionary to America? I thought we were the ones that were supposed to be the missionaries to everybody. Yeah, America needs the gospel. America has rejected the message that has rung from this land for centuries. We need missionaries too. Yeah. Well, I'm glad the Southern Baptists call our church planting, our domestic church planting thing, the North American Mission Board. Why? Because we, we need missionaries to be here planting churches and so on. We are, in many ways, a fruit of that. And so we, we not only need to have a heart for the, for the unreached, and we certainly do, like Paul, 
We need to pray that God will get the gospel to the ends of the earth and that people who have yet to hear the gospel will have an opportunity to hear the gospel. But let's not also forget that there are many people in reach areas where the gospel is, is, is very much present and very much uh, has gone out and so on, that there is still a need for people to hear and receive the gospel in these lands as well. The people of Israel rejected the gospel, even though they received all of these things. By the way, again, we are in a, uh, a saturated, gospel-saturated place. There's still people that call this area the Bible Belt and so on. And please understand that if none of these things in verses 4 and 5 guarantee the salvation of, uh, for Israel, do not think that you growing up in the Bible Belt assures you of any type of salvation. Salvation does not come to you because you were born in the right place. Now, it may provide the opportunity for you to believe, and we pray that you do, uh, uh, of course, embrace that opportunity. But please, if you are basing your salvation on the fact that you live in this place where the gospel is so full and so prevalent, you are not saved. Salvation doesn't come from geography. Salvation comes by faith. Have you received the message? Have you received Christ? Do you trust in him for your salvation? That's where salvation comes from. Weep for real for those who are separated from Christ. Weep for real for the separation of the reached. And then lastly, and we won't get into too much detail here. This is uh, what we're going to be looking at next Sunday. But look at verse 6. I just want to look at what Paul says here. He says, but it is not as though the word of God has failed. Are there people separated from Christ? Yes. Are there people who have even been reached? The, the, the message of Christ has come to their place. They have received all of these different, uh, 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 all of this, of this revelation from God in the scriptures and so on. Have they received all this? Yes. But they still reject. Yes, they still reject. So God's word has failed? Nope. His word has not failed. God will accomplish his purpose. So just as we ought to weep for real, we also need to trust for real in the purpose of God. God will accomplish his purpose. He said that he would bring people from every tribe and every nation and every language to himself. He said that there will be a, 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 a whole host of peoples spanning the globe that will gather together with one voice and will say, worthy is the one who sits on the throne and worthy is the lamb to receive blessing and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the God who made that promise is the God who keeps his promises. It, it may look right now that there are so many who have rejected the gospel, but a day is coming when all the scales will be lifted from our eyes and we will see many, many people, millions, maybe even billions of people who will gather together and will say, Jesus and Jesus alone be praised. God's purpose will be accomplished. But what that does mean is that there are probably going to be a lot of people who will find themselves outside, outside of the salvation. And for that we weep. We weep. But we long for the God who keeps his purposes and keeps his promises. 
to have mercy. Perhaps that's why we're still here. When you came to faith in Jesus, I mean, he could have just said, you know, like Star Trek, beam me up. <laughs> beam me up, Scotty. And you could have just whoop, went right up, you know, rapture right, right then and there. Why are you still here? Why am I still here? We're still here because we serve a God who is full of mercy. And even though there are many who reject the gospel now, they may not reject the gospel forever. And so we continue to go. And we continue to love. And we continue to share. And we continue to hope that God in his mercy may open their eyes. And they may come to faith in Jesus. Isn't that what happened to you? <laughs> Many of you, I'm sure, did not believe in the gospel the first time you heard it. First time you heard it, went in one ear and out the other. First time you heard it, you said, ah, I don't have time for that. You know? And what happened? God gave you another day. And another day. And another day. And another day. Why? Because he's a God of mercy. Until the day when you came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Until the day that he said, come to me, and you came. <laughs> He's a God of mercy. And so we pray that this God, who's full of mercy, would have mercy on those who have not believed. Even though they've had opportunity to believe. Even though they've had clear evidence to the the truthfulness of this message, they still reject the gospel. We pray, God, in your mercy, please give them another day. Please withhold your hand and have mercy to draw them to Christ. And so we weep and we trust and we hope that our God, just as he will for Israel, as we'll see in chapters 9 and 11, that he will do so for our people and our land. And he will draw many, many more to Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. So, Father, I ask for your mercy. Even now, Lord, we can think of people. Perhaps it was the town that we grew up in. And we look back and we, if we were honest, we'd say that there are many, many, many in our hometown that don't know Christ. We look around in, in our current area here in the Triangle, and Lord, we are so aware that even though there are churches all over the place in this area, there are so so, so many that don't know Christ. Lord, there are so many in our state, there are so many in the United States that don't know Christ. And Lord, I pray that you would work in our hearts so that like Paul, we would weep over the lost. Lord, have mercy. Please, have mercy. Have mercy over our families, our extended family, 
aunts and uncles and cousins and grandparents and so on, Lord, that don't know Jesus. Please, Lord, have mercy. Please, Lord, please do not, do not bring them into your judgment. Please, Lord, in the name of Jesus, rescue them. Save them. May we never, ever be okay with knowing that there are so many people, if they breathe their last, they would be in your judgment. Knowing this reality, Father, by your spirit, may we go. We take the next opportunity to tell as many as we can about Christ. May we go into our workplaces. May we go into our neighborhoods. May we go into our family reunions. May we go, Lord, everywhere, telling more people about Jesus. For salvation is found nowhere else but in Christ and in Christ alone. May we trust, Lord, that it is not in our own strength that we do so, but it is according to your plan and your purpose that we do so. So, Lord, in your great purpose, have mercy. Draw even more to this. Right now, as we respond to your word, as we respond to the word of the Lord, there are some of you who are here today, and, and as soon as we were talking about this, people started popping up in your head. I believe it was the Holy Spirit who was, who was doing that, bringing people into your mind. Whoever those people are, pray for them right now. Right now, pray for them. Say, God, please have mercy on them. Lord, we know that your judgment is real. We know that your mercy is real. So please have mercy. Draw them to Jesus. Maybe there's some that are in close proximity to you. You can call them up. You can shoot them an email. You can go to their house. Whatever. You can meet them at the job, wherever it may be, or at school or wherever. Pray, Lord, give me an opportunity. One more time, tell them about Jesus. Father, I pray that you would hear these prayers. I pray, Lord, that you would answer them. May this not be a theological debate for us. But may this be reality for each one of us. Salvation is found in Christ alone.